Hey, before we get to the podcast today, one of my favorite things, reading listener email. Here we go. Dear Tony, exclamation point. First off, I'm a big fan of the podcast. You put the fun in mental health. All right, I'll get right to the point and I'll be honest. How about that? I'm one of those who has emailed you in the past to see if you're accepting new clients. I've never been to therapy and I've honestly felt a connection with you through my earbuds and you've truly given me so many useful tools. But as my emotional baseline continues to rise, I now realize a lot of things that I felt I couldn't get over in my life that I now can. Now I'm to a place where I want to do the work on myself, so I need a therapist. I never thought I would say that. I figured you were busy, but right about the time you emailed me back to let me know that you couldn't fit me in, but P.S., you did it in a very nice way, you also started advertising BetterHelp.com. So maybe I'm being a bit corny, but I sort of viewed that as a sign. So I signed up through your link, don't worry, BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch, so I could get 10% off my first month of service, and within 48 hours, I was meeting with a therapist online. I love my therapist. She's amazing. She knows acceptance and commitment therapy, and P.S., now I have her listening to the virtual couch. So thank you for the podcast and thank you for advertising BetterHelp.com. I can't imagine where I would be if I hadn't started listening to the podcast and if I hadn't started using BetterHelp.com, of course, slash virtual couch. Oh, and I heard you say on the episode with your daughter and then I think on the one with your neighbors, Nicole and Aisley, that you'd love to get your wife on the podcast. I would love that too. Just putting that out there. All right. Thank you for the email. And yes, I would love to have her come on too. Right now, I believe she said that she would consider it somewhere around our 50th anniversary. And so to put that into perspective, when this podcast comes out, we're going to be within a day or two of celebrating our 29th anniversary. So i uh, got a little bit more time to get uh, to get her on. But I would highly encourage you to do what this listener has done. Go check out what over 500,000 people have already done before you. Sign up right now by going to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch and, and get the help that you need or that you didn't even know that you needed. What are you waiting for? They have a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, which might not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log on to your account anytime and send a message to your counselor and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't ever have to wait in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. At that point, I do want to add that I think that my waiting room is, is very comfy. BetterHelp.com will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and they're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional online offline counseling, and I love this part, financial aid is available. So BetterHelp.com wants you to start living a better life today. Go to BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch, and you'll get 10% off your first month's treatment. Again, that's BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch. All right, let's get on to the show. Coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, hear ye, hear me, the quickest route to empathy. Learn a couple of tricks that will help you have more empathy with your partner. That and more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. tuning in episode 157 of the virtual couch i'm your host tony overbay i'm a licensed marriage and family therapist certified mindful habit coach writer speaker husband father of four ultra marathon runner and creator of the path back an online por- 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 this is take four or five we're going with it an online pornography recovery program that is helping people like you reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography if you are anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all and trust me it can be done in a strength-based hold the shame become the person you always knew you could be way 
then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And please visit the virtual couch on Instagram. I have amazing people helping me now. We're doing uh, weekly Q&As. We're doing Instagram TV with kind of thoughts of the week from therapy. And again, that is virtual couch on Instagram. You can hit the little follow button there and find out all the, the questions of the week and um, just additional insights, additional almost like mini podcasts that you can find on Instagram TV. And you can also find the virtual couch page on Facebook. That's new. I also still have Tony Overbay licensed marriage and family ther- therapist. You can go like them both. And if you have enjoyed a minute or two of any of the uh, virtual couch podcast material, please do me a favor and rate, review, subscribe to the podcast wherever you do get your podcasts. And if you get a second, please head over to TonyOverbay.com and sign up there to find out more about exciting news that I, I'm, I'm getting better at talking about. Uh, it's, it's a book that I wrote along with a co-author named Joshua Shea. And there, it's looking like early November, and I haven't, uh, haven't said as much about this book. I guess I am starting to say it now, but uh, it, it is called, the book is called He's a Porn Addict Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict Answer Your Questions. And I am playing the role of the expert, and former virtual couch Joshua Shea is the former addict. And this book covers just so much ground questions. So whether or not you are in a position of leadership where you work with people who are coming to you and there has been some pornography addiction or betrayal trauma, or if you're actually going through that yourself, this book is designed to hopefully help you out when, you, uh, when, you're, when your world is going to feel a little bit turned upside down. Okay, so for today's show, I want to kind of step back, be a little more real, a little more raw. I want to go a bit more unscripted. And much like in the Instagram TV examples that I just talked about during the opening, I wanted to share some of the things that I start to see in therapy kind of on a weekly basis, um, things that I see, patterns that I see over time. And one of the patterns that I see typically, it just continually this concept of what is empathy. And I know I've talked about empathy on a lot of different podcasts. And I just, I ran into a couple of studies as I was preparing for a presentation. When I do presentations, I often like to kind of warm up the crowd, as they say, with some differences between men and women. And as a matter of fact, let me kind of give you my, my go-to, the difference between men and women. I typically start with this one. Here it is. Neuropsychologist Professor Ruben Gurr of the University of Pennsylvania used brain scan tests to show that when a man's brain is in a resting state, at least 70% of its electrical activity is shut down. Scans of women's brains showed 90% activity during that same resting state, confirming that women are constantly receiving and analyzing information from their environment. So here's where the funny part, the joke goes. So I will often say that then if a woman looks over at a man and says, hey, honey, what are you thinking? And if he says nothing, then there's actually scientific data that shows that he is literally thinking of nothing at that point. When he's in a resting state, 70% of of his electrical activity in his brain is shut down. But then if he has been trained well, if he turns over to her then and says, well, what are you thinking? And then if she starts saying, you know, I'm thinking about this and I'm stressed about this and the kids and the and work and all of these things, that it kind of shows that uh, her brain can't quite get to this resting state. And uh, hilarity ensues, people laugh, that sort of thing. So in preparing for a, a presentation coming up here pretty soon, I found a couple of other details. And one of these, well, a couple of these I found were pretty interesting in this in this concept of of empathy, because a lot of times I find that women tend to, and I'm going so gender stereotype right now, and I'm going to be very upfront with that. Uh, but you'll see why with some of the studies that I'm talking about, and I'm and I'm really working with the things that I see in the office, so I know that I could be opening myself up for some feedback. 
that uh, says that it's not always the men or it's not always the women. And I 100% acknowledge that. I want you to know that. But but I'm just talking about a lot of the things that I see in my office. And some of this might make sense if this is happening in your relationship. So a study from Stanford University found that when a female was shown an emotional image, nine different areas of her brain lit up, while only two lit up in the men. And that was from a study by uh, Brizendine called The Female Brain. On average, women retain stronger memories from emotional events than men. That's from Hammond and Stephen, Sex Differences in Response to the Human Amygdala. And males and females are not empathetic in the same way. So here is where things got really interesting. I really found this, I, I probably shared this um, a dozen times or more last week in therapy. So we have two emotional systems. There's the mirror neuron system, the MNS, and the temporal parietal junction system, the TPJ. So just remember that. We've got the MNS and the TPJ. And a little bit more on that MNS, the mirror neuron system. If you listen to the episode that we did on highly sensitive person, HSP, which is also called sensory processing sensitivity, one of the beliefs there is that people that are a bit more empathetic or a bit more intuitive may have these accentuated mirror neurons. And the mirror neurons, and there's a tiny bit of controversy here, but the mirror neurons allow someone to kind of track the emotions or track the physical uh, facial features, the, the responses, but pick up on what someone else is, is projecting or someone else is kind of putting off. And, and just the name alone kind of alludes to that, right? Mirror neurons. So that mirror neuron system, MNS, and again, we've got this TPJ. So the MNS, the mirror neuron system, is responsible for emotional empathy. It helps one feel what the other person is feeling. The TPJ is responsible for cognitive empathy. So it actually helps somebody distance themselves from the person's emotions, focusing instead on analytically solving the problem. So kind of think about that what you will. You maybe see where we're going with here. So we've got the MNS, the mirror neuron system, and we've got the TPJ. The MNS is responsible for emotional empathy, and the TPJ is responsible for cognitive empathy or allowing somebody to distance themselves from a person's emotions and allow them to analytically solve a problem. So here's the fascinating part. Both sexes start their empathy process in the MNS, in this mirror neuron system, but the male brain quickly switches over to the TPJ. This is from Brizendine's uh, work called The Male Brain. So we see this clash all the time. A woman will tell her man about a problem looking for emotional support, but he, if unable to actually solve the problem, won't see the value of having a lengthy conversation about it. So the male's mirror neuron system is also more fragile. Oh, here's this is kind of funny. This was just thrown into the research, and I get caught up in this every single time. This is a little bit separate from what we're talking about, but the male's mirror neuron system is also more fragile and maybe stunted by pacifier use. That is from uh, Male and Female Differences in Non-Conscious Mimicry, a systematic review from the Journal of European Psychology Students. So uh, pacifier use um, may, may stunt or make a male's mirror neuron system a bit more fragile. But if we go back to that MNS and TPJ, I think that alone is pretty fascinating, where if uh, if both sexes start their empathy process in the MNS, but the male brain quickly switches over to the TPJ as soon as he realizes that there's, if he doesn't, if he feels like he needs to try and fix, which is that stereotyped uh, man will go to fix it mode, it, it, that's part of the way his brain works, that it quickly switches over to this TPJ. If he feels like he is unable to actually solve her problem, then he won't see the value of having a lengthy conversation about it. Now, does that give him an excuse to never have to try and learn empathy? Absolutely not. That is part of the reason that I'm having this conversation on my podcast, because I feel like once someone is aware of a situation, and I had a great conversation, my wife and I were kind of talking about a lot of things this weekend, our anniversary weekend, uh, celebrating our 29th anniversary, what an incredible weekend. Um, an incredible woman. 
But we were talking about this a lot of just this concept of when people get stuck, what do they do? And a lot of people like to say, well, that's the way my brain works. And so here's where I love these concepts of acceptance and commitment therapy, where we are not going to kind of fuse to or just get stuck in this thought that that's the way my brain works. Once we have that awareness, now is when the work begins. Now is when we can kind of, with that awareness, start to move a little bit more toward change. So here's another thing that, uh, that I learned in this studying or, or preparing for one of these um, uh, presentations that over the last couple of weeks. It says, the most interesting study that indicates that women are more emotionally empathetic was conducted at the Institute of Neurology in London. They tested couples. First, the women were given a range of electric shocks. And if I have to kind of put a little pause here, I'm always fascinated by who must go in to be a part of these tests. And if you, uh, if you haven't heard the episode I did with BetterHelp.com's Hey Sue Joe, she did for a while, she did a lot of these kind of research projects. And we just go for about five minutes talking about uh, that concept of, of who does participate in research subjects and uh, research um, projects. And I think that was kind of fascinating. But back to this one at the Institute of Neurology in London. So, Again, testing couples, uh, they were testing couples. First, the women were given a range of electric shocks. Then their partners were hooked up to the same treatment. It was indicated to the women when and what kind of shock was being administered to their partner. And even though the females couldn't see or hear their loved one, the same pain areas of their brains that had activated when they themselves were shocked lit up as they had learned their partners were being subjected to the same treatment. So again, they weren't even seeing or hearing their partners going through that same electrical shock treatment. But when just people let them know that this is what your partner is going through right now, those same areas, those same pain areas of the brain that it activated when they themselves have been shocked lit up. Here's the, here's the kicker, and it's only one sentence, and it's uh, one that just kind of with the resounding thud, researchers were unable to duplicate this result with males. So there's this concept in general. Several, you know, here's these a couple of different studies that do talk about females being a tiny bit more, not a tiny bit more, um, fairly more empathetic from this start. And men kind of starting in that same empathetic state, but then moving out of it very quickly. So at this point, I want to talk about as well where I feel like with empathy being such a major part of couples' communication or a major part of any type of communication, I think it's important to just very quickly lay out empathy. And I like to give the example, and I'm, it's not one that I made up. I've got a, a slightly um, separate version that I could say that I made up. But the one that I hear often that worked for me was, you are walking along on a road, and you look down, and you see somebody that is stuck in a pit. And let's say it's a pretty large pit. Sympathy is saying, man, I am so sorry that you are stuck in that pit. And then you kind of go about your day. Empathy is basically jumping down in that pit and saying, man, what are you feeling here? What is this like for you? Tell me what your experiences is right now. And, and having the person feel like they can share with you their hopes, their fears, their dreams, their frustrations, their experiences, whether they've been in a pit before, whether they haven't been in a pit. Are they afraid of the, of the high walls? Is the pit made of dirt? Are they afraid of dirt? Are they afraid of digging? Are they afraid of climbing? What is their experience like? And in no point of that is your job to tell them, well, that's ridiculous or you shouldn't think that way. Or here's the thing that can get a little bit tricky. And I feel like this is one that we do often as well from a very well-meaning place of telling someone stories about when they were stuck in a pit or telling someone stories about how they got out of a pit. And those are well-meaning, but they're still not having empathy or listening to what that person's experience is. And I've had a couple of people say to me, 
well, you know, once they kind of hear that description of empathy, can you truly have, you know, complete or true empathy for someone? And and the answer is no. And that's okay. Because the reason why is no one except for you and you alone has had all of the what they call private experiences that led you up to that moment in your life. All of the, the, the abandonment, the rejection, the birth order, the DNA, the nature, the nurture, um, people that have moved away from you, people that have passed, all of these things that are unique to you all go into why you have the thoughts and feelings that you do. So, and this is what gets a little bit frustrating. This is one of the reasons I, I've always wanted to do or wanted to do more podcasts like this is because, and again, I can say that this can be coming from a very good place when someone says, hey, don't worry about it, or you shouldn't be feeling that. I, I can appreciate that, but the hard, the, the difficult part in, as the therapist is that, but the person is worrying about that or they are feeling that way. So empathy, that is the key to, to communication, and that is the key to having someone feel heard. When they feel like someone truly cares about them and they feel like that person is not just simply trying to pick apart their reality or judge them, then that is where healing can begin. And, and this is something that I've written pages and pages on and wanting to have a podcast uh, that talks about this, and it just starts to go in a little bit of circles. So I'll kind of give you another example. Let me try to make this one a little bit more real world. Here's a very real example that I had recently, and the person gave me permission to share in a fairly detailed way, although I will not be telling their name or age or any of those sort of things. But I had a woman talk to me recently about being afraid of heights, and being afraid of heights is a fairly normal phenomenon. But she had a husband who had no fears whatsoever of heights, and he constantly wanted her to do things like bungee jump or skydive or just go on very large buildings or anything like that. And she met with me and she let me know that there was a part of her that really did want to explore and have those kind of adventures, so shared experiences with her husband. But whenever she expressed her frustration around heights or being afraid of heights, he went into big-time fix-it mode, and almost to the point where it felt like an attack. She felt like her, her essential reality was being challenged, where the person would, her husband, I guess say that, her husband was, was constantly saying, well, why? Why are you afraid of heights? Why don't you just trust me? Why don't you just close your eyes? Why don't you just take a, a pill? Why don't you just go for it? And then he would say that because he goes for it, he's never had a problem with heights. And he's and he's confident that if she just trusts him and if she just uh, does the things that he would like for her to do, that everything will be fine. And so these two had been arguing about this for a very, very long time. And here's where here's my whole point around being heard. So what we started to do was I just started to talk to her a whole lot about where these fears came from. There were some that were, were I don't want to say founded but in reality because it was her reality, but she was able to uncover a few things that uh, she had been afraid of, some things that she had heard when she was younger, maybe an experience with um, just a couple of just random news stories that had really stuck with her about some things happening from high places that had always frightened her. And then we even identified that she had had a, a, a mother that was overly protective in a lot of different ways. It might not have even been with heights, but it was basically a concept of not even wanting to you know, make sure you don't uh, stay out too late because bad things can happen. Or I wouldn't go over to that side of the, you know, the, the tracks because bad things can happen. Or never park in this kind of area at a mall because bad things can happen. So all of these things kind of led up to this woman having this, this just extreme fear of heights. So we started doing a little bit of couples work. And, uh, and I met with the guy and the guy, of course, wanted to just let me know 
that uh, here's what you're probably not hearing that she's she she does these other things well and with heights she's really afraid and he knows that if she would just do these things that had to do with heights that she would be okay and I start trying to do the empathy work trying to help him understand what empathy looks like and that the only in my experience the only time that someone truly then is able to move out of a comfort zone like this is when they feel heard. And, and it took a lot of work with this, but basically we started having conversations where it was just these, you know, tell me more about your experience with heights. And we would have to do it in my office where she felt safe. And then I was helping him stay in that moment, not go to, yeah, but there are times where you should do this, or I think that you should do this. And having him really learn how to just sit in that moment and understand where she was coming from with regard to this fear of heights. And we squoze this, uh, what's the phrase? Squoze, uh, <laughs> what do you squeeze? Squoze this orange, squoze this turnip, this grapefruit. But we got every bit of juice out of what her fears were around heights. And he got to the point where he would, would not try to send her motivational quotes or speeches or um, news stories that that val- validated or ver- you know, validated his point. He was trying to get away from this whole concept of his own confirmation bias. She slowly began to feel heard to the point of where she did finally feel like she could say, okay, I, I feel like you understand now. I feel like I can trust you. I feel like I'm not going to get somewhere and all of a sudden I'm going to be uh, in, a, in a position where there's no way I can back out. And he was really honest and he had shared with her that there were a couple of situations where he just thought it would be for her own good to get her in a situation and just have her go for it, you know, jump off of some high ledge or something like that, or go up to some very tall building. And that he, he was assured that she would be, she would feel okay with it. But now that she felt heard, they started to make a plan. And the plan specifically was that she had exit options, uh, backup plans, exit routes. And, uh, and I can say that they went on. I don't, I'm not saying that now she uh, runs a bungee jumping camp, you know, in, in South America, but they went on to do some pretty exciting things. But I think the key point there was was really this concept of empathy, not trying to break down her reality, not trying to tell her that she's crazy or fix or judge her, but really understand what that felt like for her. And, and when she felt heard, then she was able to move forward a little bit more. You know, this kind of reminds me of a quote that I heard that someone gave in a talk recently, and I had to te- shoot them a quick text and ask them if they could send it to me. But it's by an author named Murakami. And I love this quote. The quote says, always remember that to argue and to win is to break down the reality of the person you're arguing against. And it is painful to lose your reality. So so be kind. And at the end, he says, even if you're right. But in this situation, it was remembering that arguing or trying to tell somebody why they're wrong or why your point is more valid if you feel like it is, is, is bra- basically breaking down the reality of the person that you're arguing against. And, and it is painful to lose one's reality. Therefore, we are going to dig in our heels and we are going to fight for our reality. Um, that's part of our human nature. So back to this concept of empathy. So here's what I run into often. And remember, if I'm doing couples therapy, I love this concept uh, called emotionally, this modality called emotionally focused therapy, EFT. And emotionally focused therapy is all about somebody feeling safe enough to put out what they call in EFT terms an emotional bid. And the emotional bid is them trusting their partner or trusting who they're speaking with with their truths, with all of the things that they kind of bring to that moment. And then I I always say it's like they're holding out their heart and offering it to their partner saying, okay, I'm going to trust you with this this vulnerable piece of me. And if we go back to this, I'm going to trust you, this example that I said earlier, I'm going to trust you and let you know why I am so afraid of heights. So, and I'm doing it right now, I'm holding out my hands as if I'm holding out my heart to my partner. If my partner says that that's ridiculous, like I can't believe you think that, then 
imagine that's basically like taking that heart and, and just crumpling it up, throwing it on the ground, stomping on it. So this is why empathy is so important. When somebody is expressing something to us, it's, it's because they want, they're, they're trusting us with this information and we need to view it as this, this special gift. And I know that, uh, you know, this is one of those things where 15 years ago when I started this journey as a therapist, I never thought I would be holding my hands, projecting them forward, saying that someone, you know, expressing something to me is this beautiful gift, but that's exactly what it is. And even though we might be thinking right now, well, you know, my partner is offering a lot of gifts, if that's what we're talking about, then view them as such. That is a wonderful, beautiful thing. So it is not my job to break down their reality. It's not my job to attack their reality. It's my job to understand their reality, to tell me more about what they are presenting to me. That is where empathy truly starts. So the reason I bring up this EFT example is because even when I get a couple to stop trying to just destroy the other person's argument, when I try to, when I can get a couple to understand that their current communication pattern is basically um, throwing out a, 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 an emotional bid and then the other person feeling, you know, like, uh, I can't believe you just said that, you know, and then they attack that person. They attack that emotional bid. And this is where I say that people then get kind of down in their bunkers and now they're hurling insults or they're throwing, you know, well, you said this before, you know, and so they're basically not hearing the other person. They're trying to defend themselves. And, and to me, it becomes just so blatantly obvious that that is not a healthy communication style. And I even get people to come in here in my office and do it even after they learn some of these EFT principles. But because they just are so triggered. They feel so hurt. If a partner says, I don't feel like you're there for me when I come home from work, and the other partner says, I can't believe you're saying that. Do you know how much I do during the day? I mean, just sit there and, and hear that example and just, you know, you can probably already see where this thing is going to go. So now all of a sudden, you know, now they're both going to try to defend themselves and break down the other person's reality. And nothing productive is going to happen. Even when people try to do this calmly, even when people try to, you know, and what I see often are people that give examples or they try to come up with um, analogies. And again, bless their hearts. I understand where they're coming from. But but is the goal of that still to try to prove the other person wrong, to break down their reality, or is it to truly be heard? And I feel like even the most well-meaning, intelligent, communicating people still have these unhealthy communication patterns. And that is a communication pattern that is not founded on Tell me more. I want to understand everything about what you're telling me before I share my truth. And, and so that's where I feel, again, it all goes back to this concept of you must learn empathy. If you are hearing this right now and your partner continually tells you that you're just not hearing me, then, then do all that you can to, to, to understand. And if your mind goes to, no, I totally know what you're going to say. Or I, I know, okay, I, I understand what you're saying. I've heard you say it before. I could even predict what you're going to say next. None of that is productive. None of that is going to help your partner feel heard. And if you are in a relationship and your goal is to preserve this relationship, grow the relationship, strengthen the relationship, then, then let them tell you. Even if you are correct, there is nothing productive about saying, I knew you would say that. Because what are you doing? You're setting the table down the road of, of your partner saying, okay, well, it's not worth it for me to even try to talk because he's just going to tell me, no, no, I've heard that a million times. But we desperately want to be heard. That's, that's at our core. We desperately want to be heard. So if you're hearing this and you, are, you have been told before that I don't think you're hearing me or I don't feel like you're being very empathetic, the answer to your response cannot be, oh, yeah, well, you're not being very empathetic either or 
Well, I don't think that you hear me either. Because again, just get down in your bunker and now you're going to try to throw out the best argument or break down the other person's reality. If your partner is saying to you, I don't feel like you are very empathetic, then your only answer that is going to end up being productive is tell me more. Help me understand what I'm missing. Show me my blind spots. And and even if I'm sitting there hearing that as the person who's being told that I am not empathetic, if I'm just continually wanting to respond or defend or challenge or tell them that they're wrong, then please hear this right now. That is not empathy. That is defense. Um, that that is uh, that is just not going to be very productive. That is trying to break down that other person's reality, and you are basically saying. I only want to hear you when you are going to tell me things that I want to hear. But if you're telling me something that, that, that is uncomfortable for me, instead of me saying, okay, help me understand, even if I don't feel like I'm, you know, having the problems that you're presenting to me, even if I feel like I'm being empathetic, but if you're saying I'm not, then, then I'm going to sit right here and, and I want to understand, help me understand my blind spots. And here's the part that gets really tricky. And if you're still with me, I hope you are. Um, this is where things get really tricky because there, if you are trying to, again, go back to this, if my goal is trying to break down the reality of what the other person is saying, that is not being empathetic either. So, and, and the reason I bring that up is a lot of times someone will go to their partner and they say, hey, I, this is hard for me to say, but I don't feel like you hear me. And the response they get is, oh, okay, I don't feel like you're hearing me either. And there, there are times where people almost weaponize these, these tools of empathy or these, these emotional bids. And there's nothing productive there. And as a marriage therapist, when you hear that, it just, it breaks my heart because these are situations where I'll be working with someone who truly doesn't feel like their partner understands them or gets them. And instead of saying, okay, help me understand, their partner is saying, oh yeah, well, you don't get me. And it's almost like it reverts back to a little bit of this, uh, you know, kind of childish behavior of, uh, in my mind, I always feel like, and what I'm hearing is, well, I, you know, I know you are, but what am I? Or, or you know, well, I, I, that's what you're doing. Instead of saying, help me understand. Hey, so this is kind of fun. It is Monday evening. It's, uh, it's getting a little bit late. I've seen a full schedule of clients today, and I recorded the first part of this podcast. Everything that you've heard, I recorded it this morning. So here I am back, and I didn't get the podcast out, obviously, earlier today. I'm going to release it on Tuesday. And I just couldn't stop thinking about um, kind of the elephant in the room for me, the thing that I was not addressing earlier in this, um, especially this part here at the end, this part where we're talking about if you are going to your partner and saying, I don't feel like you hear me. If you're the one that's initiating that dialogue, if you're the one that's been um, feeling like you have not been heard, perhaps you're even your entire marriage, if you're the one that has been doing the research on everything from, uh, from, and I'll be honest, from things like gaslighting, or if you're the one that that is coming to the table saying, you know, I am ready to stand up for myself or I am ready to um, have my own opinion. And that's okay. If, if, that is, if that is who you are and you bring this concept of, I don't feel like I'm being heard to your partner. And then they turn around and say, well, I don't feel like you're hearing me. Or if you're going to them and saying, all right, you know what? I'm going to put out this emotional bid. I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to share this with you. And your partner says, okay, well, when is it my turn? You know, if they're lacking that empathetic component, 
I just want to make you aware that that is that's not productive communication. Whether you need to go see a marriage therapist, whether you need to um, go back and listen to other episodes, EFT related episodes. Um, I just want to kind of put that out there. I'm not trying to say that anybody that says that, uh, you know, that, that if, and, and here's the example. I mean, I've had people tell me that they send their partner one of the podcasts that I've done on gaslighting. And, uh, and they've said, hey, and they do it in an empathetic way. They send it to their partner and say, man, I just heard this podcast about gaslighting. I didn't even know that this concept of gaslighting existed. And I feel like this is what's happening to me. And, and that concept, again, if you're not familiar with gaslighting, is maybe you're putting out some, you know, you go and you, you ask your partner a question and, uh, and or you, you, know, you, you give them a thought. And by the end of the conversation, they've turned everything back around on you and you actually feel kind of silly or dumb to have even brought the question up or brought that statement up. Quick real life example, uh, a client in the not, the not too distant uh, past had been out of town, out of town for a week. Um, comes back home, there are some things left out, some things that perhaps had stained a table, something to that effect. And their partner said, I don't know who did it. It wasn't me. You must have left it out before you left. And, and my client knows every bit, every part of them knows that before they leave, the house is left clean. It is left uh, spotless, spick and span, because they know that the house is going to be somewhat of a disaster when they are gone and their partner is kind of left to their own devices. So they come home. Again, this thing, and make it even better, it was a, uh, it was a, a dish, a, uh, some food that they never even had purchased or ate or bought or anything. But they come home and say, oh, man, you know, hey, I'm noticing this has been left out for a while and it it stained the table. Uh, What happened here? And and literally their partner, who who there is no one else in the house, said, I don't know. And and they're they're saying, okay, um, okay, but you you don't know anything about this? I don't You must have done it. And then when, when my client said, no, I, I didn't do that. I mean, I, I don't. I don't even know what that is. That that you know. That it looks like you purchased. And plus, I left the house clean before I left. And the gaslighting concept is this. Uh, the the their partner said, I, "I seriously can't believe you're you're questioning me on this. Do you know what my week has been like? I have been so busy this week. And, and as a matter of fact, busy working for you, so you can go on these vacations and you can just be gone all the time. And now you come home and you accuse me of leaving this thing on the table. Like that really is hard for me to hear." And my client was finally like, they know, every bit of them knows that they did not leave that thing on the table. But all of a sudden, they're like, I, I don't know. I mean, could I have? No, they, they couldn't have. So anyway, that, that is an example of gaslighting. So getting back to being heard, the thing that can break my heart is to have someone who is truly empathetic, who finds their voice, who finally says that I'm not going to take it anymore. And it's okay for me to have my own thoughts, my own uh, my own uh, values, my own goals, but then their partner says, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. And I'll tell you why you don't want to do that. That's, that's not empathy. That's not okay. And so oftentimes it's that partner, the one that's telling them, here's what you need to do. You just need to, and then they, and they give them the advice that, that, you know, that works for them. Or even at times they give them the advice that, that is more beneficial to them. It's, it can be even somewhat manipulative. So instead of saying to their partner, Man, I'm so grateful that you found your voice. I want you to be confident because, you know, here's that concept of edifying each other. One and one, uh, one plus one equals three. You know, the greatest thing that we can do is be there for our partner. The greatest thing that we can do is to say, 
okay, man, I, I appreciate this, uh, you know, that, that you're kind of having this awakening. I appreciate you bringing the, this information to me and I want to know more. It's not coming from a place where, you know, uh, again, the partner is, is, is telling you, I can't believe you're saying that to me or, oh yeah, well, you're doing that to me. So I had to just put that out there. I might've just said the same thing three or four times. Uh, that could very well be the case, but, uh, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Back to the earlier recording. All right, I think I probably better wrap things up now. This was going on a little bit more, but but I hope that some of this makes sense today. Uh, I wanted to start out with this concept of where the uh, where empathy maybe begins and these mirror neuron systems, the MNS, the TPJ, and just understand that maybe just from the factory we we have a little bit different association with what the concept of empathy and understanding and being heard is. And so the first step of change is awareness, and so. That I feel like if someone again, and and let me just kind of be uh, the, and what I see in my room a lot of times is if if you are the the guy in this situation and you are hearing that you are not being very empathetic, or you're hearing that you're you're gaslighting your partner, you know, if you're hearing that you're you know turning things around on them by saying you know no I'm not, you know that is not going to be productive. the The goal here is to say okay I don't I may not feel like I am. But tell me what you're seeing. Help me understand. And if your immediate feeling is that of being defensive, then go get some help. You know, go to somebody that you trust and say, hey, I'm missing something here. You know, when, when my partner is telling me that, that, that I'm not being very empathetic and my immediate response is that of defense, then I must be not hearing something correctly or I might lack the tools even to really sit and understand where somebody else is coming from. And, and, and do a little bit of self-reflection. If everywhere around you, when someone kind of says, hey, I noticed that you were doing this. If your immediate response is, no, I wasn't, or, well, it's because you don't understand. You know, and if you, if you have a hard time sitting there with an understanding and accepting maybe some criticism or feedback, then maybe that's something that you can go work with, work on with somebody. Um, it's worth it. It's worth giving it a try. I get to work with people that make pretty miraculous changes on a day-to-day basis. And so I know it can be done, but oftentimes it just is so, um, if it comes second nature to just just react and defend, then then there's some work that can be done there. Okay. Hey, thanks for taking the time to join me today on the virtual couch and taking us out, the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence with her song, It's Wonderful. All right, we'll see you next time on The Virtual Couch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other